This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome a former All-American from the University of Georgia, winner on uh, the Canadian PGA Tour, played in Palmer Cup, Walker Cup. Uh, hell of a good guy, and he's turned into a good friend. It's a pleasure to have Lee McCoy on the Sub-70 Podcast. Pro, thanks for doing this, my man. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm, uh, I'm honored somebody wants to talk to me about golf. It's been a minute. Well, shit. I mean, a lot of history to talk about, a lot of lot of stuff we're going forward with. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation. Oh, yeah. um, let's start off with the wrist surgery. I think, and that thing's been a problem for a while. So, for the people who don't know, where's that at? You had to have a surgery. When's the comeback, you know, time frame for recovery? And, and the other question as a follow-up is, like, how long do you think this thing has truly not been right since, you know, has it been since the accident, or how long has it been a struggle for? Yeah, so I had my first surgery. I broke my scaphoid, and I had my first surgery about two and a half, almost three years ago now. Um, didn't heal up well. It's just a bone that doesn't like to heal. Um, had to go back and have another surgery once I realized it just wasn't going to be right, and the x-rays weren't looking good. Um, second surgery didn't go well either. Everything was misaligned, and then I found out that um, I had a torn ligament that nobody had noticed. So for anybody that's been watching me play the last year and a half, it's been with a broken scaphoid and a torn ligament. Uh, and I just kind of thought, you know, from what I was told from these different surgeons, that it was just a bunch of scar tissue and, um, you know, time would, time would heal and it wasn't getting any better. Uh, so third surgery just happened about five weeks ago flew out to L.A., found somebody that knew what they were doing, um, and had a quad fusion. Uh, Google that, because I can't explain it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully in three weeks or so, I should be back to making full swings. And, um, you know, I've still got some support and uh, and plenty of, plenty of want to, to still do it. So I'm excited to get back playing golf. Do you think it was messed up or that's been there since the accident? Like, has it been years yeah, I mean, this has gone it's undiagnosed? Been, it's and... been two and a half years since everything was, you know, completely healed. You know, that ligament's been torn since 2019. Um, and I had two surgeons just completely miss it from what I've been told. Um, so, I mean, the guy that just did surgery on me, he did uh, the surgery on Drew Brees' thumb. Um He's like under contract with the Lakers. He's just, you know, from everything I read online, one of the best hand surgeons in the country. So I'm hoping this one's going to stick. Assuming you're healthy in a month or so, then start the comeback trail. You know, you're exempt on Latin American tour. What's the playing schedule look like for you this year then? Like what's realistic of how many events and, and how long do you think until potentially you're back to – kind of full strength i mean full strength is kind of a gray area i guess i mean i should be back to to you know making full swings in a month and and hopefully really confident um 
really confident in just full impact swings, not having to worry about anything thick, rough, that kind of stuff in about a month and a half. Um, shouldn't take any longer to heal than a normal break, you know, the standard six to eight weeks. Um, but I'm actually not planning on going back to Latin. Um, you know, combine, when you combine COVID and I've been down there enough to know what it's like and coming back from this injury and how much time there is left in the season, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think for me to go through all that. I've got a wife and a baby, and uh, it's, that's just a lot. You never know when you're going to get stuck down there and um, essentially to go play one or two events and have to win. It's just kind of a stretch, when you're, especially when you're not fully healthy. So um, I'll probably pop around and play some Mondays and uh and some mini tour events leading up to Q school. Um but yeah, I, I just call me what you want, but <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna go back. I went to Argentina and um you know, he called me spoiled or, or whatever you want, but it's it's not exactly um I, I don't know how to describe it. Let's just say there's too much going on to really be able to focus on your game the whole time you're there. Yeah, and then maybe by the time Q school comes around this fall, you're back to 100% healthier or healthier than you've been at in, in years. And, you know, you start that journey and, you know, web.com or, she's uh, dating myself, Corn Ferry Tour status could be, uh, you know, I'm assuming that's the goal, right? I mean, get through all three stages and 100%. see what happens. You, yeah. don't, you don't make money doing this until you're at least in the top 50 on the Corn Ferry Tour. That's when you get into the black. Um, so going all the way down there to play a lot of events, just not, not worth it to me. My plan was actually to go back to Canada. I was signed up for Canada Q school. And then once I got another MRI and somebody finally spotted the ligament that was torn and the bone that hadn't healed, um, I had to cancel my, uh, McKenzie tour qualifier. So, um, at this point, honestly, I'm just trying to get healthy. I can't – everything's going to be there when I get healthy. It's not like I need to you know, sign up for everything now, book everything I can now. I just need to do my therapy twice a week and, and you know, get my wrist as healthy as I can and, and not focus on anything else. It's, I feel like that's the best thing I can do for myself at this point. You had a, a hell of an amateur career, kind of like through the high school years and college. Like, when did when did you realize you had some elite talent at this game? And you know, being a professional golfer was going to be a realistic pathway. Like, you know, when did you realize like I am essentially way better than the other kids at this age group, and I would love to be able to do this for a living? When did that sort of hit you? I can actually pin that down to the day. Played in a tournament down in uh, Augusta, Georgia, um, at Forest Hills in Augusta State. Uh, what was it called? The 3M, I think, college tournament. You know, a bunch of really good schools. Um, and I had won the, the two previous events. Um, this is my junior year, so that that probably got me up to those two. Got me up to probably four wins or so at that point. Um, and I think I shot 60, I don't know, eight, seven, something like that first two days had a one shot lead going into the last round um, and just kind of walked away from everybody. Uh, and I remember riding home back to Athens in the car with, it was just me and coach hack. 
uh, riding back and we were just talking about like how unbelievable it was. And he was pumping me up and feeding my ego and just enjoying the moment and stuff. Having just won three tournaments in a row with, you know, and all of them had good feels. I was just, I think I was kind of in shock, but it kind of set in in that moment. Okay. We, we've really got to buckle down and, and see what we can do with this. Yeah. I mean, what a, it's got to be an interesting feeling, right? That at that level, you're beating the best, which then logically would make you think I'm ready for that next level after the college scene. Yeah. I just remembered it was actually Scotty Shuffler who got second in that tournament. <laughs> he was, yeah. he was, he was chasing me. Um, but it's just, you think back like my first, my first college round ever was with Justin Thomas. And my second college round ever was with Jordan Speed. So, like, I've been around these guys, and that's, you know, me and you talked about it in a private conversation the other night, watching all these guys you know play so well and, you know, having beaten them and gotten beaten by them too. But, you know, knowing that you can compete with them after playing, you know, 15, 20 events with somebody and watching them win on the PGA Tour 10 times, you're like, man, got to get there. You know, it, it it'll it'll piss you off as easily as it'll fire you up. You know, it just depends. Yeah, <laughs> it depends almost, on what yeah. mood you're in. Yeah, and you take that fire, and you you know, and you go to you you use it as its motivation, right? And when you were playing with those guys, did Spieth kind of have the same game he had now, where he kind of, I don't know, hit a little here, a little there, and at the end of the round, he adds it, him up, it, kinda it, like sixty eight, and you're like, how the hell did that just happen? It, it hadn't changed a morsel, not a morsel. It was just identical. It was. Um, same little draw, same setup, same head tilted back. I mean, it, it was it's, it's it was exactly the same. I don't know what what else to tell you. Um, trying to think of what stood out. I, his distance control was just miles miles better than mine, and I noticed that immediately. We had a I don't know what hole it was. Early, it was a par four, and you had to lay just short of the water. You know, the closer you got to the water, you had you were right on the edge, you could hit wedge or nine iron. Um, so most guys are laying 25, 30 yards back and it's two, I don't know, 60 to the water. So you want to hit three wood, but ah, you kind of hit a little high off the face and knuckle it. You might trickle one in the water. You don't want to do that early in the round. He takes out three wood and lands it two yards short of the water and just stops it. And it had a ton of spin, so you knew it was going to stop. You're like, shit, this guy knows exactly how far he's hitting the golf ball. Yeah. So he had that control game then and grip, you know, iron game solid. And he just seems like a gamer. He just kind of gets it in the hole, right? He's just. Well, he, I gets mean, the he rolls, the, gets the damn ball in the hole. rolls the piss out of him. I mean, let's not overlook that. Uh, yeah. And he did. It's just one of the most intoxicating putting strokes to watch in person because uh, the rhythm is so insanely consistent. I mean, obviously, especially, you know, 15 to 20 feet. It's just. It's almost like the putter's just swinging itself. You can tell it's just exactly how the putter's meant to be swung. I don't know. It's- no, you can get like a good rhythm. You can get a rhythm off of it almost, right? It's like if I go out to a tour event and I watch the driving range, like the next couple of days I actually play really well. I don't know if it's just like watching that rhythm of it, of a touring professional, but like it works. Like just sort of just watch. It's sort of like osmosis goes through you. you can and up, like I play good. You can pull up some good old, you know, there's a million kids that have pulled up, you know, Tiger on YouTube from 2000 and watched him swing before they've gone to the range or 
to the course and you'll get something. It might not be good or nearly what you think you're doing, but you'll get, you're going to get something. And, and the key to playing good golf is thinking that you found something. Whether that's new or whether that's old, you know, it, it's confidence. Or it might, yeah, or you just, you know, for me, just watching a bunch of really good golf shots, right? These are pros on a range. It's just sort of, I don't know, there's like a positive vibe to it. I get like a positive vibe out just watching that rhythm and the sound of the strike and the ball flight. It just, I don't know, it works for me. I could just take it in, you know, then go shoot my 75 from the middle tees, which is a, a successful round in my world, and, and I'm a happy camper with it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can see what you're talking about watching that stroke at, you know, it certainly doesn't put negative vibes into your uh, game. I imagine playing with speed and watching it. It's just hypnotizing. It's almost like, I think it's almost the putter's like weightlessness. It's like on the way through, he's not adding anything. It's just gravity just taking it through. There's no manipulation and things just swinging itself. And, um, you know, I played with him a few times and, and every time it's just, it's, it's, hypnotizing that's the only word you just can't stop watching it but no matter where you are you're going to make sure you're there to watch him make a stroke just like you said just so you can try to figure out what he's doing because you ain't got it <laughs> well your your college team too was pretty sick talent wise with you you know keith mitchell grayson sig uh sep Straka just won like was that a really the environment that was from the competition how good that that squad was did it did it did you guys kind of feed off each other on that one of pushing each other and getting a little better and the next guy plays well then you play well and was that a had to be a pretty healthy environment for making you a better player i'd have to imagine i'll be honest with you i don't think that any of these guys was talking about guys that i played with that are on tour now would be sep straka grayson sig uh keith mitchell um, I forget. I don't know. Somebody's gonna kill me. Anyway, um, it, it was it was an incredibly underachieving team. Just flat out, like we we won one SEC championship, um, and really didn't even come close to winning a national championship. Um, it was it was sad. And I there's nothing I would love more than to sit all my old teammates that are on tour now down in a room and go, guys, what, what the hell were you doing in college? Because we should have so many rings. Like there's what I'm seeing on TV right now is, um, it, it just makes me sad because I just, we were so close just in, it seemed like every week we finished second and third a lot and we won, but you know, we were solid, but we, <laughs> if you look at the guys now, yeah, I mean, it looks like a tour event with the. I mean, you're talking five. I think there was five guys that have played the tour, right? Like it's 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 crazy. Like that was your team. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I had Joey Garver on the team too. Um, we've been on and off the tour, but it's you, we should have been legendary. And we got one. We won one SEC championship, which was my last year, and Seth was the only one. It was Seth and Grayson were still there. Joey was gone. Keith was gone. Um, so I don't. It just I, I look back with a lot of fond memories, and the competition was great. And Hacker set it up in a good way, where uh, yeah, it's just whoever qualifies goes, and he basically looks at you and goes, yeah, 
listen, if you don't want to work hard enough to qualify, to travel, then I don't want you on my team. Like, if you don't want to practice, it's fine with me. I've got five guys that are working their heart out and want to be on the road. So it essentially creates this environment where you don't want to get out of work. Uh, right, and right. It was, and it was great for me. Um, I had an absolute shit ton of balls until my, you know, my fingers bled literally a couple times. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of got me through those last two years of my college career where I really kind of found it. You know, it was, it was those thousands and thousands of balls. I hit my freshman and sophomore year because I knew I just had more. And, uh, you know, I was qualifying, but I wasn't, you know, really finishing in the top 10, but maybe once or twice a year. I wasn't an All-American at all my freshman year and got honorable mention my uh, sophomore. So I was I was pissed most of the time. I I just knew I had better and watching all those other guys grind and, you know, being a four and five guy, I knew I had five, six guys that were pissed and wanted to be on the road right behind me nipping on my heels and I had to go qualify every week. And I think that's probably a big part of why you see Grayson and Keith and Sepp so calm out there is because, you know, they didn't just play 12, 15 events a year or whatever we did. Um, you know, we were qualifying three days a week. So it was literally, it was a never ending tournament playing for Georgia, but you know, you don't make any money on the driving range. So we were out trying to beat each other up and figure out how to get golf shots and get in the hole. When you, uh, 2016, top five down in PGA Tour event as an amateur, what, what's that experience like with the crowd size and probably the media stuff and everyone talking about it? Like, how, how, how cool was that event? It was way cooler than it should have been because um, Spieth was number one at the time and we were T8 or 9 going into the last round. So I got paired with him, just me and him, Sunday you know, one thirty or something like that at my at the course that I grew up at. I grew up in Tampa, so I'd played this golf course. I was a member there. I'd played it, you know, a couple hundred times probably. Um, him being number one in the world, the crowd that grew was just unbelievable. You know, I, there were three or four times during the day when good stuff happened, putts went in, me or him or, or whatever, where, uh, the people around the green were, you know, five, six, seven deep, and they made enough noise where I could feel the ground shake in my feet and being, you know, 30, 40 yards away from all these people. You're like, holy shit, that's pretty cool. Is it, is it, is it overwhelming? Is it fun? Is it like, I want more of it, right? Is it like, once you get in that environment, are you like, like, fuck yes, I can't wait to get back there and see that again. Like, I want that kind of crowd following me. Like, I want that. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. That was I went from playing in front of like max like 20 people, 25, 50 people at the end of a college tournament to like 15,000 a whole. So I was just in shock. Like I was so overwhelmed that I was completely calm because I didn't even I felt like I didn't even know how to act. Like, you think you should be nervous, but it's so much that you just kind of zone out. I think it's just, it was just because I made such a huge jump. But I, I remember, on, even on the first tee, just feeling just 
totally calm. Like I was still standing on the driving range and I, I was standing over, over the tee ball, with, you know, him behind me, I teed off first and like, Holy hell, I'm fine. I've been dreading this all morning and I, I'm completely fine. Let's go. Well, that's I'm, what I've always, that's like, thing, like a golf fans always wondered, right? Like, you know, what's that, what's that, what's that feeling like? You know, it's sort of like when the rock star goes on stage and the curtain opens or when you're all of a sudden played in front of 25, 15, you know, 30,000 people, whatever is on that whole following that group. Yeah. Is it, is it, you know, is it calm? Is it, you know, like it's always an interesting thing because we'll never be there of what that feeling is kind of like. That's, I think it's really interesting because I've talked to some guys on the Ryder Cup and all of a sudden they're calm, you know, talked to like Parnovic about this and they go to peg the ball and they're like, holy shit, I don't think I can get the, I can't get the golf club back. Like, just yeah. let me not kill somebody on the first tee. Then after the first tee shot, they're pretty good, they say. You know, that's kind of a common thing I've had from all the interviews I've done. It's like, yeah, one shot and I'm a little nervous, but then I, you know, I'm a professional golfer. Like I can do this. It's interesting that you were calm from the start. It's got to be a. It was, I was, I was shocked by it. And I'll tell you, like, it's not, it's not like a me thing because it wasn't the first PGA tour event I'd played in. I, I had played, I think two before that. Um, and I just hovered around the cut line every time I'd made a cut, but I think I missed made one miss two, but I was always right around that cut line and Friday afternoons back nine. Whoo, nervous, not calm. Uh, uh-uh, no, you know, but there's nobody out there on Friday afternoon watching the sponsor exemption group. Like, you know, there's no there's less people than at the end of a college event, but I was shaken. Like, I mean, if you're in college getting the chance. Somebody's letting you come play in their PGA tour event. You know, you want to make the cut. I don't care if you're not making yeah. it money. That that shit that means a lot. Well, pride, right? You want to show them that the sponsorship. Well, yeah, you, I mean, right. and you want to prove to yourself exactly. that you belong, and right. yada yada. The list goes on, but you know, that's all. That's all internal pressure and this and that. But it, you you go from that to twenty five thousand people, and you, it just puts your brain and your body into like I don't know blackout mode or whatever you want to call it. It's just too much. I was just like, okay, it it just like almost turns into scenery at that point because there's just, there's so many people you can't even really focus like on anybody. Was your adrenaline running? Like were you, were you hitting things further? Like was there a little bit of that? Even though you felt calm, was there a little bit of... The adrenaline was definitely there. Yeah. The adrenaline was there because I've I've watched it back on TV and saw where I hit my T-ball on one. Like I told you, I played that golf course 200 times. I never landed it down there. It was like 10 downwind, and I flew it like 340. And Jason, I've seen pictures of me. I know you haven't met me yet. I am a string bean. I weigh 140 pounds. So 340 was like, that. That's you, you tell me that's not adrenaline. I don't know what else yes. that could be, but that's, that's the only time in my life I've flown it 340. Well, let's talk to you about, about winning. When you When you... One on the Canadian tour had to be a hell of a feeling. And those experiences like that happened at the Valspar where you played and held you on, played great, and and all the success you had, does that factor into winning at a high level? Do you go back on those experiences where you was calm, you know, going down the stretch in that tournament as you had been in those other kind of big events? Like what sort of the mindset do you take to kind of get it over the finish line? Uh, 
I think you have to convince yourself that you're the best player on the golf course before you even tee off that day. I, I think that's 99% of the battle. If, because if, you, if you're going to 18 tied with somebody and you think that he's a better iron player than you, like, you, you're not going to have a good time. You've got to go out there. If you're in the hunt for a golf tournament, and, and you've seen this come out of a lot of PGA Tour players, this cocky asshole attitude, of, you know, I'm just, you know, the Patrick Reed top five comment type stuff where, you know what, I'm just just better than everybody here. I'm sorry. It's just, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Like, you have to feel that way inside, I think, to really kind of get that edge over the guys chasing you. You just have to think you're better. Whether you are or not doesn't really matter because you you got to assume they're going to be as nervous as, as you're trying not to be. If that makes any sense, it makes total sense. No, I mean, and, and you kind of see it. Like I, I always said, like the most interesting experiment you could have is take someone who doesn't play, who doesn't watch golf at all. Gra- grab my wife, and I said this last time in a podcast I did. Go watch the Wednesday pro am, and I can. She would be able to tell you who the pro is by the way they walk uh, down the fairway versus hundred percent. You think guys pump their, or, you know, bang their fist on their chest when they make a putt because they're insecure. No, it's because they think they're the man and they're right. You know, like yeah, you just you just kind of have to be that way to a point, and that's that's why a lot of guys at the top level get a lot of hate, as you get a lot of those kind of jock mentality type of guys. But that's what it takes to to knock in those four footers over and over and over. Yeah, it makes sense, and you and it's not like well, one out of eight guys has that. All of them walk like they own the fairway, right? Every one of you guys, you watch it from afar walking up the fairway. You guys look like you own the goddamn fairway. Well, on the tour, like you know, when I was playing, just even not even having status on the PGA tour, when I was playing in a PGA tour event, especially when I Mondayed in one, like you, you think you're the shit. You're playing on the PGA tour. I don't care how long you've been out there. Doesn't get any less cool. Like you're a badass. You play on the PGA tour. That's how you make your dollar. That's 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 unbelievable. You know. So if if you're not walking around with your chest out and your chin up, you should be. Like it's just it's sick. What else do you want to do for a living? Like where where do you want to sit and push papers at? I don't know. I'm with you, man. Like I said, it, it makes total sense to me. Like I, it's, but you can, like I said, just an interesting. It's interesting to watch it from afar. But I, I agree with you. I think you have to have that attitude to be successful out there. You know, I remember like Rory Sabatini just getting crucified for saying Tiger's never been more beatable, and this is when Rory was a top fifteen, ten, twelve player in the world. He has to say that. Yeah. Well, look at him. Right? He, he has still to pops up, you know, and and shows everybody yeah, that he's cool. still there. And everybody wants to hate him, but you got to kind of respect him a little bit. You know, he pretends he's from another country and gets citizenship here. Well, I don't, you know, don't quote me. I don't know exactly the specifics on the whole Olympic thing, but I know he played from where he was not born. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's slimy, but you know what? The guy wanted to play with the best in the world. There you go. You know what? But you you got to take your 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 hat out to him because he's played. I bet you he's been on the PGA Tour for what twenty two, twenty three straight years, something nutty like that. Oh yeah, like, it's, that's just, hard, man. He's a gamer. He's an absolute gamer. Yeah. So they should say that he should say Tiger's beatable. When Stephen Ames got crushed 
you know, by Tiger. But he said it before the round or whatever it was, you know, in that match play when he got drummed. But he, I don't like, I always like, don't blame the player for saying that. Like, he has to say that to himself going into that match. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could have told, and, you know, you could have told me after I finished top five and down in Tampa and Valspar, you could have said, hey, I'll set you up with Tiger tomorrow. 18 holes, match play, 20 grand. Even though, you know, hey, Dad, I'm in college. Can you sponsor me for this match with Tiger? Um, But I would have been like, let's go. Like, I've never played better. I'll beat Tiger's ass. I don't give a shit. And looking right. back, it's probably the dumbest thing I've ever let go through in my mind in the history of ever. But, you know, I, that's that's where good golf takes you, especially when you do it on the best stage. It, it'll it'll send your head to, uh, to a very, very large volume. I know uh, you've got to meet some cool people in the game. I know you got to spend a few days with Arnie. Um, what is that experience like of, like, you know, hanging out with Arnie for a couple of days. I think you said it was in Latrobe. Like, what was that experience like? And uh, I, I have to imagine it was pretty goddamn cool. Yeah, I mean, so just so lucky. And like, I've got a picture, you know, and I wasn't standing in a line of people waiting to get a picture with Lauren Palmer. I've got a picture in my office of me, just, you know, like a casual photo of me just talking to him out on the golf course. And that, like, one of my prized possessions you know that, that is you could not buy that for me um but so we spent three days there right before we went over to england for the walker cup uh, and he just kind of showed us around his shop one day um had us over to his house one day we had dinner with him twice um i got to sit next to him at dinner one night unbelievable um cattle rocks obviously um, from about, from what I saw from in, about 11 in more than one. No, it started <laughs> at about 11 a.m. Because he would come out and start watching us play. You know, we'd go play 36 at, at Latrobe because, you know, we're there. Arnold wants to watch us play. We're, we're going to go play as many holes as he'll stay out there. Um, 10, 30, 11, kettle rocks. Um, you know, 12 kettle rocks, one kettle rocks, two kettle rocks. Dinner, kettle rocks. Um, the man was a he was a garbage disposal when it came to when it came to that potato water. Um, he popped it, but um, I got to sit next to him at dinner and order a hard Arnold Palmer, which I thought was just the coolest thing that had ever happened to me, and probably ever will. When 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 he's not trying to entertain, like when it's just you know professional golfer Arnold Palmer legend talking to a young golfer who's obviously got some talent and going places you know and you're you're playing the walker cup mm. is, is he is can you tell he's he it's a little bit of a different conversation than when you see him interacting with other people was he a little bit more oh uh what's what i'm trying to say like was there advice is he is he is he trying to is he yeah. say hey ask me any question you want and is it is it more or less where he's really trying to mentor your guys in that situation i honestly i think I think we missed that by a few years with Arnold, unfortunately. Um, we're talking 20, what, 16. Um, yeah. Wasn't doing that great. He was just trying to kind of get a jab in where he could, stay outside as long as he could. It wasn't, you know, he'd answer your questions, but sometimes the answers didn't make total sense, and certainly Kettle had something to do with it. But, 
you know, there was, there was some good conversations. I remember, um, I asked him at dinner what, uh, or who he thought was the best ball striker of all time back from, you know, from his area, forget all the new guys. Like, ah, you know, Jack hit it pretty good, I gotta say. And I'm like, well, what about, what about Mo Norman? I always hear just unbelievable stories and, you know, his videos about Mo. And was, Mo was extremely erratic. Uh, you mean like, personally, like, I didn't even know what to say. I just, I <laughs> yeah, just, I would have been like, you like mean, well, obviously he's striked. putting? Uh, where was he? He's striked, dude. You just, can you just tell me that he's striked? That's obviously what I want to hear. Um, <laughs> I just kind of let it go. I didn't want to question yeah, him. Okay. <laughs> like, no, no, you're wrong. No, you Arnie. don't question Mr. Palmer if he yeah. says if he says Mo Norman was erratic. You just roll with it and you know grab a sip of your cocktail and go to the next question. Yeah, he got me. He got me bad one time that we were in his office. Um, you know, the whole team was in there, and it was kind of one of those you know early in the day, sober Arnie fire away questions. And I'm, you know, being the smart ass in the room, or trying to be anyway, I guess I go put my hand up and, well, Arnie, why did you never sell your drink with, uh, with kettle in it? You know, or do some kind of partnership there. It's delicious. And he just stopped and kind of looked down, looked all disappointed and looked up and goes, son, you should know I don't support alcohol. And just looked at me with this just deadpan, <laughs> just pissed. Like, how dare you even mention, like, for four or five seconds, the room just fell dead silent. We're like, oh, I'm like, oh, shit. I've really stepped in it. And then he just goes down and grins at me like, I got you, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, it was it was beautiful. It was it was beautiful. So that, that sense of humor was still there. He was still witty. But um, late in the evening when he spent more time with us, it was, uh, I don't know. Arnie was more into the sauce than he was into us, I think, at that point. I hate to say that. I hate I hate to, but, you know, if you ain't feeling good and you're that age, you, you're the king. I ain't questioning the damn thing you're doing. I couldn't agree more. Um, in the Palmer Cup at Rich Harvest Farms, which is kind of, you know, like a half hour from us, you, uh, you had a singles match against Thomas Dietrich from University of Illinois, and there was an annoying guy named Jay Armour. Mm. Now, from sub seventy guys who talked your ear off during the entire match, you lost the match. Do you still blame Jay to this day, who's a partner in the business and runs all the social media, for that defeat of having to spend three hours of that annoying bastard probably asking you dumbass question after dumbass question? I'm assuming it had something to do, um, you know, probably didn't put you in the best frame of mind. Do we still blame Jay for that that loss? Because I would. Well, I, I certainly could take the easy road there, but um, I can't I can't say that it was um, you know a soft mentality or or somebody being able to get in my head that easily um, because I don't even remember who the hell you're talking about. So, uh, so the, 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 the irony was, of, yeah, Jay was in your group <laughs> and and followed you the whole time, and now you know the sub seventy relationship and all that stuff, world. and we were just. Yeah, it is a small world, and Jay is like, we got to bring this one up of Jay probably annoyed the shit out of you for three. No, he actually said you were really cool. It's like you almost enjoyed the conversation during the match, um, you know, because Jay knows enough about golf where if the pro doesn't, or you were an amateur at the time, but the player doesn't want to be talking, you know, enough not to talk. But he said you were awesome, like you had good conversations about sports, hanging out, all, I mean, shit guys talk about, and 
you were cool as hell with it. And, wow. you know, some of the guys, Jay said, are really, you know, I think he was inside the ropes. He was walking and like doing scoring or something like that. And he said, you guys hit it off and just bullshit the whole time. He's like, you're awesome. But of course, because I love Jay like a brother, <laughs> I have surprised. to give shit so that he caused the defeat. Right. I'm kind of surprised yeah. I was so chipper during a loss, but um, you know, I guess when you're at the Palmer Cup and Rich Harvest and you know, Dietrich doesn't exactly suck, obviously. Um, no, what he said is like you guys both played great, and like Dietrich went nuts. So you were like looking at him like, what? I, he said you lost, and you were like four under. Yes, yes, I remember him going off. I think he shot like thirty on the front or something, and I'm just yeah, you're just like, like, oh, wonderful, like, wonderful, yeah. Like, yeah, he said you were actually in a good mood because you were playing really well, and he just went, you know, batshit low, and you're just like, I, I, I don't know, what, I, I don't have an answer for that one. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that was later, and we were leading by a good bit, so it wasn't like, you know, those team events are just always about, oh my god, can't let the team down, can't let the team down. This point can matter. But we, we kind of smoked them a little bit in that Palmer Cup. Thank God, because I lost my Walker Cup in that still keeps me up at night occasionally uh, but uh, yeah those those team events are just uh, such good memories so many good teammates so many good opponents well, what an honor what an honor too right like to, to to do that like you know walker cup palmer cup like that's it's an elite that's an elite amateur uh, event right it's hard to get on those teams yeah it, I mean, what a cool experience to have it, that it was unbelievable and they just they just spoil you just beyond belief or or any kind of you know we, we just we didn't deserve any of it we all knew it it was just completely overboard um the guy that owned the place mr rich just went absolutely kind of bonkers with it as you do when you have you know billy stacks um so but i mean the highlight for me honestly was his car collection that guy's got isn't that sick oh it's crazy three four hundred cars he had two Two Ferrari Daytonas parked next to each other, uh, just, yeah. yeah, right next to the front door. I'm like, okay, so you take this seriously. Um, yeah. But anyway, no, that was that was a cool experience. I mean, me and me and Snyder Jans played Don Rom and Dietrich one day, and it's like you look back and you go, damn, talent. Yeah, and I'm not thinking about myself, <laughs> like. Oh, I was going to say, and, which, and which which one of you? No. I, I, Rom, was, Rom was pretty damn Rom good, is, wasn't he? Rom is the best player I've ever played with. I mean, and I've played with some good players. But you hear these guys recently talking about, you know, Rom's going to win 10 majors. Rom's the next long-term world number one. I'm I'm 100% on that team because I've never seen anything like it. I sat there with me in college. It was me and Maverick McNeely and John Rom, um, all kind of, trying to get to that number one spot in the college rankings. Um, and I never got there. And it ended up being uh, John and Matt that went back and forth. Um, and I just remember just looking at the rankings all the time going, God, what is this guy doing? Because I played with Matt a bunch, and, you know, he's a super cool guy, one of the nicest guys you could ever come across on the planet. Um, but you, you – you don't know this other guy and you kind of start to resent him a little bit because you can't catch him. And, you know, he's not from here and yada, yada, yada. So, and then you meet the guy and he's a so, super solid dude, extremely nice, incredibly knowledgeable. And you play with him and you go, Oh shit. I don't want to have well, any what, of these shots. What's, 
what stood out? Is it the length, the power, the ball? I mean, what was it? Is it just everything was just? It's how easy it looks. Superb. Like the way he takes the club back, sets it, you know, turns down into it. You can tell that there's nothing to it. He doesn't really feel anything other than where the club is. He's got this up and and down and in motion. That's just kind of let's take it back short, lay the club down, and hit it as hard as we can. It's it's like a it's like a forehand, you know, essentially. Yeah. It, it, you look at it, and you go, that makes a shitload of sense. I just can't really do that with my wrist and I don't know how to turn like that and he weighs 240 pounds I don't think it's going to work for me but yeah but he's he, a big boy he just hits these like the last time I played with him was um played practice round with him at the Shriners back in like 17 or 18 and um, he would hit these drivers these just 320 carry 315 carry just piss missiles that were, you know, no more than 15, 20 feet on the ground or off the ground. Um, had probably 18, 1900 spin. So really low spin, but it was hit so hard and so solid and had so much integrity that there was just no chance it was going to curve at all. There's no movement. Just dead ass straight. Just dead ass straight. And when you hit like, when you hit low, trajectory and low spin shots they usually want to kind of meander right eventually but he he just hits it with such integrity it's just so hard that it just doesn't move it's just it's literally just hit too hard it's got too much forward momentum to go sideways it's just like oh god all right let me just hit this as hard as i can you know i have nine iron i'll have you know seven or six and we'll make this work somehow because when, when the fairways are firm and somebody can do that, you, it just multiplies everything exponentially. So, um, yeah, the only real chance that that I would ever have would be soft golf courses when I was out there because I was swinging at probably 115, 116. So I, I wouldn't say my only chances, but my best chances were when it was soft because I could – you know, stop an eight iron when they were stopping a wedge. They'd only outdrive me by twenty instead of fifty. And well, he's, uh, you know, the talent is proven out, right? He's, you know, world number one. He's he's a hell of a player. I, I always thought his game too would like translate well to like an Open Championship. He looks like he'd build a. He's got to get one of those at some point in time. That heavy trajectory like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's like he'll be. He's got to be. He's got to be holding a claret jug at some point. I'd have to imagine. He hadn't even started. Hadn't even started. I, I mean, seven, eight, ten majors. I'm I'm on that team. Just come. I mean, I haven't played with Tiger. I haven't played with Rory. I haven't played with DJ or Jason Day or you know any of those guys. But I've played with enough to to see differences. And and that that's that's just just different. It's just different. Well, I had another question off golf a little bit, and you brought up cars. I know you love cars. So is there one in your garage that you're kind of in love with now, and is there a dream car, like a realistic dream car? Like, I mean, I'm not uh, too, is there like something on the highway, like, like, like you want, like you, like there is one where it's like one day I'm getting that on top of the one you got in the garage now. Yeah, um, so I've got um, I've got a 392 Challenger, which you don't even know about. Um, that's kind of full bolt-ons 
makes about 500 at the wheels, cams, all that good stuff. Um, that's the daily driver. It's a little bit too loud, but we're working on that. It's kind of still kind of asshole loud, and it needs to be like, oh, that sounds nice loud. Um, so that's kind of a work in progress. But that's that thing is pretty close to my heart. I haven't had it all that long, but... Um, but it's pretty close to my heart just because of how comfortable it is and how much power there is. It's, it's like a boat that just wants to do wheelies. Um, and then I've got more on the interesting end of, I've got a, uh, a 1982 BMW 320 I that, um, has an O2. So an E46 M3 motor in it on coilovers, five speed and, yada 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 um so it doesn't sound like an insane car but uh, those those old 320s were really really tiny so 23 2400 pound car with you know probably now after the engine's been built 400 horsepower at the crank two, move. 350 wheel probably um so it i mean it it'll put you back in your seat it's, it's uh it's one of the, it's kind of a it's just a fun car in a way that we don't have a ton of money in it because i mean we bought the three cars that we put together into that one car for a total of i don't know 500 800 and a thousand over that is 23 um and then labor what we couldn't do ourselves you know we've we've got not a ton of money in that car but it will absolutely put you back in your seat it's just funny to see on the road because you just don't see any of them it doesn't look like a car that should still be driving so you'd look like you kind of somehow got that car running and that's been sitting in your in somebody's front yard for 15 years running and you've got it out yeah, in the road yeah. it looks dangerous and then it just kind of stands up and takes off it's 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 definitely a sleeper it's a, it's a fun little car um but that's that's what we got right now um i've got an old wrangler at my dad's house but ain't got room for it but cars are cars are. I've definitely said more than once that I play golf to to buy cars. But um, you know, I've 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 definitely had moments where I've overextended myself. But we're we're still doing we're still doing all right over here. Is, is there one on the dream list though? Is there a certain brand or one car that you're like one day I'm getting it? That's the thing. That's so tough. That's I mean, that depends on what day of the week you ask me. We've we've got to talk about we've got to talk about budgets it's because am I buying, can I go to Barrett Jackson with $5 million or can I sit down on the internet with a hundred grand? Let's say hundred grand on the internet. There you go. Like that's, you know, fairly yeah, obtainable. Yeah. Yeah. Barely attainable. Um, well, they just came unattainable. Damn. I was going to say R34 GTR. Um, but now over the last year, those have gone from a hundred to like 300. So if you have a title in one of those, congratulations. Um, I don't know, probably a demon, just because I have a Challenger and I love it. You know, that's a cool car. Six hundred yeah. horsepower is cool, but eight hundred is a little bit cooler, especially when it's got a warranty. <laughs> yeah, and it's just classic Americana, like muscle car, right? Like it's just taking that '60s era and just put it on steroids. It, it is, awesome. and it's just. You know, you almost want to throw a big wing on it and put Super Bird on the side of it or something. It's just, it's I've, I've ridden in one, fortunately, for 
10 minutes and it is absolutely as bananas as you could think it is. And there's just, you know, I, I really don't get the power down in my challenger with 600 horsepower, but you know, that thing's just, it's got no chance. You know, mine is stick. If you had a D, I don't think they make a demon in a manual, but if they did, it would be an absolute nightmare. If you weren't absolutely perfect on every shift, you would be all over the map. Well, the torque on that thing, too, right? It's just it's no. insane. Well, I mean, the car will actually do a wheelie. You know, if you watch their, watch their commercials from back when they launched it, you know, you get the tires warm, put those put the skinny tires up front, it'll, it'll stand up, and that's, you know, talking super low nines with a warranty. That's quarter mile, that's, that's bananas. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't even, I can't even really say I can commit to that. You got to give me three or four hours, you know, maybe three or four days. I got to get on eBay, see where the prices are at. It's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> well, the, pr- it, it's the bad. prices have gone up nuts on all these things. That's the, that's the crazy part. Is, like, I love cars as well. And it's like, oh, God, you know, some of this stuff is the market will eventually chill out a little bit. I think it's, it's kind of gone pretty crazy in the last what 12 18 months where it's you know someone's gonna be stuck holding a hot potato but whole nother subject matter i got some hot info off because you know i'm one of those it's it's so bad with the cars that i just sit on youtube at night and watch all the videos and stuff ford i found this out the other night ford is starting a subsidiary within themselves you run a company so you'll appreciate this uh called what is, what is it ford e or ford ev or says so their new electric vehicle division but it's a new company essentially within the company yep. um and they are going to be fully direct to consumer sound familiar yeah i mean can't say i'm shocked i mean right tesla sort of yeah. pioneered that a little bit in the cars so i mean it's you're going to figure out a way to make, them, neg- to make them affordable you know you, you got to take a hand out of the pot. Like this, just you know, it's just the way it's got to be. So, how would you like to be a Ford dealer? <laughs> Open up that email. Friday morning. Well, yeah, I mean, Three it's, more years I, I've got a good. I've got a good friend who owns a Ford dealership, and I've often wondered. Well, you know, I still always have to service it, but I've often wondered if, if you know, that ever comes to fruition, where it's just this car is this amount of money, these options are this amount of money. We're going to price it fairly, and that's it. There's no. There's no, you know, there might be one sale at the end of the year for two weeks until they're gone, and it's not that big of a discount, and we're and we're not going to overproduce. We might even run out of them versus discounting the hell out of the thing for the end of the year and all these promotions and everyone waits till. I mean, to me, the model seems a little bit old, but you know, I'm speaking from somebody who started a company that does direct to consumer on higher end products, so I'm yeah. kind of biased. You're know, like, you charging people you know. a, a $8.99 dealer fee? I mean, I know you're not selling a thirty thousand dollars set of clubs, but like. Really? You're charging people dealer fees and, you know, freight and, you know, give me a break. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I'm not, surpri- I, I'm not surprised that, that that's happening in the marketplace, that they're seeing that they don't, they can be direct with it, right? And everybody's been sitting at home ordering cars from Carvana, so, you know, people have been sitting at home ordering cars from 770, which is how it works. Not surprised. Um Got two more here, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, get you back to the YouTube videos uh, <laughs> since we're doing this at night. Uh, best golf shot you ever hit under pressure. Mm, mm, good one, good one, good one. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, SEC championship, the only one we won. Um, I had 40 feet on 18. I had two putts to win the team and three putts to win the individual on a drain that bitch. Nice. It was like 30-mile-an-hour wins. Whole team was standing behind the green. Oh, so good. Oh, great memory. That's a good golf shot. Good golf shot. All right, la- last one. But I'm still, even for the last one, I'm still going to claim that Jay Armour messed up your shit at the Palmer Cup. I'm still putting I'll that take, on the record of this I'll podcast. And I'm blaming, yeah, Jay. I'm blaming Jay. Still that's, going with that one. That's one last loss Jay. that I've got to think about at night. Jay. So I appreciate it's, it. It's annoying. It, he's annoying. I, I wouldn't want to play competitive golf with him in my ear. It's, it's his fault. And it's all the record will clearly show that. We're scrubbing it. Canceled. Yeah, exactly. Um, Best golf course, one or two, best one or two golf courses architecturally you've ever played, and then what two courses or so are still on your bucket list that you want to go see and play? Well, number one is the easiest ever because people ask me all the time, Cypress Point. And, there, and I played Augusta, and I would play Cypress Point once over playing Augusta 20 times. Okay, it's, so I got to ask. Like I played, I've been lucky enough to play Cypress. I I played Cypress and loved. It. I played it no, once. Very fortunate to be able to do it. Why do you like Cypress more than Augusta? Because it's like playing five of the best golf courses in the world in one golf course. Because there's so uh-huh. many different types of holes. Like you're in, and people don't know because they just see the pictures at 16. But like you go, off, you tee off. You're, it's normal, right? You know, driving range over there, it's normal, and you get shot down the hill, and you're on the green, and, and then you kind of go into the rainforest, you know, and then it's back to normal for a minute. You play a par three, and you're back into the rainforest, and then you're in the sand dunes, and you're like, "What the hell? I'm in the desert." And then you're on 15, and you're like, "Oh my god, there's a seal barking at me." It's just, it's like playing golf on Mars. It's, it's just, it's too much. It's since absolute sensory overload. We uh, Stanford hosted the tournament there my freshman year. Eight teams match play, three days. So we got a practice round. We had to play it four days in a row. It's the coolest tournament I've ever played in my life. Period. Yeah, I think I I was like so overwhelmed. I was there. I think I would, and I loved it. But I think I would need like two or three times to totally appreciate. I was like walking on hollow. Like you write, like what am I doing here? Playing yeah. golf. Like that was the. I was almost just. It's almost like a fog you're in. Oh, you, it's like you stepped into another dimension, and you're just trying to accept that you're there. Like it, it, you can't even just settle in long enough to enjoy it. You just blink, and the round's over. You're like, did I just walk eight yeah. miles? Like what the hell? I just we just do it all. It is good. It's really good. Um, I'm trying to yeah. think what I have. I have not played. I've had a couple of invites, uh, but I have not been able to make it to Pine Valley. And that, that is what I keep hearing over and over and over. And I've got to make it. I've got to make it. Um, I've heard, I've heard, I never played it. I've heard the same thing where people are like, that could be the best golf course in the world. Well, if I get to take an extra, you'll, your phone will be banging. Um, I, 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 Whatever, if it's, if it's on my anniversary, I, I, I'm, I'm whatever I got to do. If I got to, you know, hitchhike there, greyhound it, I'm, I'll, I'll be out there. Just, oh, just let me know when and where. It's one of those things. It's you know, it's it's a free Ferrari waiting for you at the dealership. You're going to get in the car. Like you, you got to yeah. go. You got to go now. Um, just in the same way that I would, you know, wake up at four in the morning and drive down to Augusta to play if, if somebody called me. But 
Um, but it still doesn't touch Cypress. It just doesn't because it's just field the whole time. Like it's, I don't know. Augusta is unbelievable. And God, if any members are listening, I'm so grateful for you guys letting Bulldogs come out there once a year and letting us play. It's a treat. But we played it in February every time where it was kind of hairy and the greens were not fast. And so 73, I don't know what it is, 73, 7,400 yards turned into 8,000 because it's, you know, half plugging in the fairways. And, um, but then you get down to 12 and 13 and, and, and you, you know, you get the goosebumps and, it's yeah, everything right. you dreamed and more, but um, you know, if playing it in February is is I don't think as incredible as just going to watch the tournament, just because it looks so much better during the tournament. I've never played it when it's when it's firm, and, and, and it's a shame because it's 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 unbelievable standing on twelve tee boxes. A hell of a feeling. Well, I mean, the only the closest I came to it was uh, like. Dallas, Texas has a, it's like Tour 18 where it's like copycat golf course, and they had Amen Corner, right? And if you didn't know it was a copycat golf course, you would just think to yourself, "Though I mean, those holes are great. Whoever designed that, man, that's those are fun ass golf holes. Like they're fantastic. Right now, you know they're copycat holes of Augusta, but truly, like the architecture is fantastic on Amen Corner and that and around that area, right? Like it's just great golf holes. It, it just it just is." Yeah, and I mean, you've heard people say it a thousand times, but, you know, people don't, unless you've been there, you don't understand how severe all the undulation is. But unless you've played it, you don't you, you don't know how far above your feet that ball is on 13. It is like playing t-ball. So you're essentially, it makes you aim at the right edge of the green because you feel like you're going to hook the shit out of it. Um, so you've got 220, you know, at belt high, obviously not, but it feels like it's belt high. Um and you, you want to hit a cut in there, obviously, but how you, how you going to pull it off? Yeah. So you right. just kind of aim right and pray that it pray that it draws or you aim at the center of the green and pray that you don't hook it and hit it up on the hill left. It's it's definitely a uh, – it puts you in a bit of a mental pickle if you, you know, or have you just to do what I do and like a normal person. Well, no, you just bunt it down the right-hand side in the copycat hole. Then I bunted like a little seven iron down the hill. Then I just, you know, wedged it on the down slope and prayed I made my five and walked quietly. Like, I just took that element out because I'm not that good. Okay, Zach Johnson. Okay, Zach Johnson. <laughs> exactly. Did exactly. you knock the ball yeah, off the tee on the next hole, too? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just like, I'm like, I, there's no chance I'm getting on it, too. I'm going to bunt it to here. I'm bunting it to there. I'm bunting it to the fat part of the green. I made my five on 13. I'm walking. I'm, I'm, I'm walking quietly to the next team. You got to do what you got to do. You know? Maintain that dignity. We don't need to be going and marking more golf balls five. right now. Yeah, solid five. It was yeah. a solid five. Solid five. Net, net five. Yeah. yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I got I a question for you before we before we wrap this up. We're reversing it. I right. are reversing it. I've got a question for you. Are you planning yeah. any sort of response for the uh, – for the what, what what's the official name? The Club Pro Guy XE seven four seven with Camel Toe Technology. Is there is is there a market for that? I don't know. <laughs> well, in my opinion, that might be one of the greatest golf clubs ever invented. So the problem would be like at sub seventy, I like to do stuff and like hopefully like make it as you know as good or better than make an actual golf club. Yeah. 
Well, like I want, the, I want our stuff to perform as good or sometimes better. It's like you know, you you think you can do that. It's sort of like you're talking about. You walk with your chest out and you're playing professional golf. When I see that level of greatness of what he designed, and like how he thought about the camel toe technology, and then using both sides of the club to improve the punch out game, there is a level to, of genius in it. And I don't know if I could ever surpass what Club Pro guy has come up with. So I'm kind of like stymied, right? Like I just tip my hat to him and say, well done, sir, because like the bar so high, you just know you can't jump there. Why? You- I don't think I can do anything better than that. Right. I mean, the camel toe technology is just genius. It's just outside the box thinking it's a, it's another element I never even contemplated, but you know, I also didn't play the Mexican mini tour for that many years being as successful. He's, he's a smart guy. I mean, you don't get to that level without having, you know, some pretty deep thoughts and a high IQ. So I don't think I have an answer yet. I'll, I mean, I've been thinking about it, but it's just so good. <laughs> and it can be utilized in I such think- a great way that I just, I just don't think I have an answer for it yet. I really don't, bro. I mean, without without bad. ripping it off, I, I think the sounding like an aluminum bat would be the one place that you could probably start on an improvement um, from what I've, <laughs> what I've heard. <laughs> I showed I my mean, mom that video today. <laughs> Even she loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. I mean, and, and it's working for his clients, too. Like the one gentleman said he went down from a 36 to a 32, Right, I mean, oh, uh, to shave four strokes off your handicap—that's friggin' hard, man. That's that's hard work. I just all credit to him, you know. Nobody's thinking about the four shots it takes people to get out of the trees. You're just sitting there thinking about people hitting irons out of the fairway in the rough. I mean, come on, man. Get outside yeah, the box. I'm I'm, thi- I'm thinking about this just in a traditional sense, and I just, you know, I kind of hit it straight. You know, like my game's been called like a poor man Scott for plank, and I mean that as a compliment to Scott for plank if he does listen. So I'm not in the trees that often. So it just it didn't. I just didn't see this one coming. It's genius. Uh, So I think I'm just going to let that one go and just say if somebody calls, you know, are you guys going to be coming up with anything like that? I'm just going to have to say we're not and 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 order it from him. It's 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 a you know there's Henry Ford's, there's Elon Musk's of the world, and then there's the Club Pro guy. (laughs) I put them all in the, the same category. I wasn't Absolutely. expecting a, a release from you anytime soon. I just had to hear what you had to say. Yeah, it's all, all as JJ would say, all credit to him. All credit <laughs> to him. But the video, the video is friggin' great. Oh, that's, right? that's good. Like, like, there's no club without the video. And he yells like automatic every time or something for the punch out for a net four or net five. It's just genius. Like, I, did you ever, did you follow him early on? When oh, he yeah. would send, when oh, it wasn't yeah. online, we were sending the letters out to the membership. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, I, I want to say early on, I don't know, three, four years. I've been on Twitter for yeah. as long as anybody, I feel like. I mean, it was the the first ones before he even you knew what he looked like or anything. When he was just sending letters to the membership, it was just, I mean, I remember they'd come out like once a quarter. No, I don't, think I, was, uh, I don't think I was in it that far back. Not in the mixtape phase. This, yeah, this must have been like in 2011 or 12. Or, I mean, I was, I've was i been on Twitter, I think, for like 10 years or something. Yeah, you got and it was just genius. Like, it was so funny. Like, literally. And he, I don't know who the guy is, but he had to be a golf pro or in the industry because it was such these. I'd read it to my wife, and she wouldn't find it funny at all. 
But I was so this guy had to be in the golf business to know all these little nuances. I, I, I am I am sworn to secrecy on that one, my friend. I'm, I'm proud to say that be. I know, but I'm, don't, I'm I don't even want to know, know right? Like, yes, I don't even want to know. But the letters were so funny, and the character he's developed, whoever it is, it's so brilliant. Um, you know, with like the 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 milf masters and all the invites. He had. It's just <laughs> endless. The, uh, the superintendent's account is just Miguel. Oh. is just an absolute gold mine. Just, oh, God, I can't even scroll through it without dying. Yes, and, and the, the interactions they had, like when he had COVID and how he's going to deduct his pay, like it's just, it's so brutal. But, like, I have a warped <laughs> sense of humor anyway, so, like, oh, you know, i got to read that stuff. Yeah, hilarious. Oh, it's the best. Like, and that's, like, fits in my sense of humor what I find funny. So, like, I, I, I think the stuff is great. Like, and I mean this, like it's, it's, it's awesome. Like it's, he's done a hell of a job marketing it. And I think it's funny as hell. So we, I'm need, to, we need to be grateful to him as an industry that he's here and he's bringing, bringing out the funny side of golf for everybody to see. I agree. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Get yourself healthy. Um, it'll be fun. It'll be fun watching you kind of chase some Mondays out there and, uh, you know, watch you for, uh, Hopefully getting in a few and then Q school coming up. And like I said, you, you get all uh, eight cylinders rolling. Talent you have, my man. It's uh, it's going to be fun to watch the Ascension. I'll put it to you that way. I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to coming up to Chicago and seeing a new place once I get back in the swing of it. Yeah. Yay, man. You're welcome. Anytime. We got, uh, we got an extra room in the house for you. And come hang out anytime you want. We'll go play some good golf around Chicagoland. Looking forward to it, mate. All right, thanks, bro. Appreciate it.